Canada has long been the only high-income country with a universal health insurance system that excludes universal coverage of prescription drugs. National Pharmacare is a complex policy to implement, and one of the stumbling blocks is sorting out the financing details. I'm Dr. Ken Flagel, Senior Editor for the Canadian Medical Association Journal. Today I'm speaking with the authors of an analysis article that addresses exactly this question, how to pay for national pharmacare. Steve Morgan is a professor of health policy in the School of Population and Public Health at the University of British Columbia. He has studied prescription drug coverage and pricing policies for many years. Michael Wolfson is adjunct professor in the School of Epidemiology and Public Health at the University of Ottawa and was Assistant Chief Statistician at Statistics Canada up until his retirement in 2009. They are joining me today to discuss their article. Gentlemen, welcome. Hello. And good to be here. Professor Wolfson, let's hear from you about who you are and what your expertise is in this area. Well, it's a pleasure to talk with you about this project. I have a PhD in economics, along with some other subjects, math and computer science. And uh, relevant to today's discussion, I spent five years in the tax policy branch of the Federal Department of Finance. And uh, latterly, I was an ADM and Statistics Canada responsible for the health statistics program. Professor Morgan? Yeah, I too am an economist by training, and I've spent uh, the past 20 years or so studying prescription drug policy in Canada and other high-income countries. main focus of my research is on uh, trying to develop systems to achieve universal access to appropriately prescribed prescription drugs in Canada. Professor Wolfson, why did you want to write this article for CMAJ at this time? There are two major reasons. The first is the idea of a national pharmacare program has been proposed for, for decades. There are all kinds of excellent reasons, and uh, pleasingly, it now looks like there's a reasonable chance it will finally happen. Uh, but many Canadians have become fearful that moving to this kind of program will be way too expensive. In fact, a national pharmacare program will save money overall for Canadians, and this message has not been receiving enough attention, in my view. Professor Morgan, what is the cost of implementing pharmacare in Canada, and, and how are these costs arrived at? Well, the first thing for people to know, as uh, Dr. Wolfson mentioned, is that uh, universal pharmacare that is well-designed will actually cost Canadians less than they will otherwise be spending on prescription drugs if we don't make a major reform to our system. For this paper, we used estimates that were generated by the Parliamentary Budget Officer, which suggested that a pharmacare system that was on par with the kind of coverage that is received by some of our best public drug plans in Canada would actually cost Canadians $4 billion less than they will otherwise be paying for medicines if the program was implemented in 2020. Uh, that's a relatively conservative figure uh, because many people have done other studies, myself included, uh, that suggest that Canada could save on the order of $7 billion, possibly even $10 billion uh, per year if we implemented a evidence-based universal public pharmacare system. And the reason for that is that comparable uh, single-payer pharmacare systems like those found in the United Kingdom, in New Zealand, in Sweden, and even in the United States with the Veterans Administration Health System, those all achieve 
dramatically lower spending on prescription drugs through a combination of factors. They pay significantly lower prices for, for both brand name and generic drugs because they exercise the power of a single payer in their markets. And they encourage the use of low-cost alternatives where appropriate, which generates significant savings by encouraging essentially cost-conscious prescribing. The catch, however, and the reason for this paper in the CMAJ, is that to create a, a high-performing pharmacare system in Canada, we need to change the way we pay for medicines. Canadians will spend about $14 billion a year less out of pocket or through private insurance but they will need to funnel about $10 billion of that savings back into the new public pharmacare program. Professor Wilson, could you take us through how this would be funded? Well, as uh, Professor Morgan has just said, we have to appreciate that what we're talking about here is uh, savings, not net costs for the country as a whole. So employers currently pay uh, a very large amount of this for insurance plans for the, to cover the drugs, prescription drugs of their employees. And most of those expenditures would no longer be necessary uh, as Canada moved to a national pharmacare uh, program. Additionally, Canadians uh, out of pocket, they don't, if they're not covered by their employer, an employer plan would be spending uh, a fair bit indeed to the point, one of the major rationales for this whole idea is that some people don't even pay for their drugs because they can't afford them. So these out-of-pocket costs would, would reduce by, as uh, Professor Morgan just said, about $14 billion. Uh, so governments would have to raise about $10 billion. And as uh, Professor Morgan has just explained, these savings would come from smarter prescribing and driving a better bargain uh, with the pharmaceutical suppliers. Uh, so the country would still need about $10 billion some of this will arise automatically since many private expenditures on prescription drugs, uh, their costs are tax deductible, and these deductions would automatically get smaller as the spending got smaller. So income tax revenues, a bit in the personal income tax, uh, and a bit in the corporate income tax, will rise in line with these smaller uh, deductions. But based on the study that the parliamentary budget officer did for parliament last year, this still leaves about $8 billion in revenues uh, that would be needed, in new revenues. We've assumed in our paper that these would be funded by the federal government as part of an overall bargain with the provinces, which currently pay for most publicly funded uh, prescription drugs. You introduced the T word. Um, that's how governments raise money. Exactly which taxes could be used to fund pharmacare? The obvious candidates are the individual income tax, which raises the most revenue for the federal government, the corporate income tax, the, the goods and services tax, or potentially some new kind of premium. The interesting challenge is that none of these can be easily targeted those employers and individuals who would reap the savings, windfall savings, from no longer having to pay for their prescription drugs or prescription drug insurance privately. I'm afraid we cannot unscramble the omelet here. And technically, it would be feasible to raise all of the $8 billion needed uh, from just one tax base. But our view is that some judicious mix would be preferable. For example, we've calculated that a half-point increase in the individual income tax plus a one-point increase uh, for the corporate income tax 
and a quarter point increase for the GST would raise the needed revenue. Of course, these are very general figures. Uh, uh, Fortunately, my former colleagues in the Federal uh, Department of Finance have very sophisticated computer simulation models that can support uh, more detailed analysis. And I will point out for listeners that you do have two uh, worked tables in your paper where they can look at some of the initial estimates and their effects. Professor Wilson, for some families and individuals, a tax increase could mean that they have a harder time paying for basic needs, such as food and shelter. What do you say to that? Oh, yes. It's always important to assess the impacts of any tax increases on different groups in society especially those with lower incomes. For the mix of tax increases I just outlined, it is quite straightforward to design the details so that vulnerable groups in society are spared. Let me give you an example. So uh, GST increases are typically considered to be regressive, but there also is a provision in the Income Tax Act for a refundable uh, sales tax credit. Uh, That could be increased at the same time as the GST uh, was raised a bit in order to make the overall package of tax increases to the extent they come from the GST progressive. Similar uh, fine-tuning or more careful design of the other tax base changes, uh, tax increases uh, are certainly feasible. I wonder if I might add to this question, if you don't mind, and that is that uh, some research that was recently published by Michael Law, myself, and other colleagues in the CMAJ Open suggests that the out-of-pocket costs of prescriptions that Canadians are currently paying are also causing many Canadians, approximately a million Canadians, to forego other essentials, such as food and shelter, in order to pay for the medicines they currently use. So a system that finances more of the cost of medicines through a fair tax system, as Professor Wolfson has just described, would in fact probably better protect Canadians with low incomes than our current patchwork system of private and public plans does today. Professor Morgan, can you explain some of the challenges of implementing a national model for pharmacare in a country where there is provincial management of health care? Yeah, I think it comes down to just that. The Constitution Act is the main challenge because healthcare does fall under provincial jurisdiction, which means that to create national standards for a program like uh, Pharmacare, you have to have significant cooperation across jurisdictions. Uh, This is the story of Canadian Medicare, of course, to create the national standards that we have today for our universal system of public insurance for hospital care and medical care. Uh, The governments of the provincial and federal um, governments had to come together and and discuss how they could move forward. And um, they were successful in part by the federal government putting money on the table. We've had no national standards to date and no federal money on the table for universal pharmacare. And as a consequence, we have what would be considered a dog's breakfast of provincial drug plans in Canada. I just completed a review of public programs across the country and was shocked by the Byzantine nature of those systems. There are over 100 different public drug plans run by the provinces and territories in Canada, which is absolutely crazy because comparable countries like Australia, England, New Zealand, and others have just one plan. But we could move forward. Uh, The key thing is to make sure that we do so together. Uh, There is major political and economic pressures on each of the individual provinces that would make it tough for one province to go it alone, so to speak, 
industry interests that are making billions of dollars in Canada selling medicines at prices that are higher here than in those comparable countries don't want our provinces to move forward on a system. They therefore lobby our governments and they threaten to pull local investments out of a given province if it dares to do something that would lower drug prices. The challenge is therefore is to find federal leadership uh, that will ultimately help uh, the many provinces to come together to take the leap forward to a universal pharmacare program. Right, but this is Canada and uh, provinces are prone to opt out of federal programs. Uh, for a typical example, the province of Quebec. What would happen to your proposal if one or more provinces decided to stay out? Yeah, in contemporary Canadian politics, it's certainly the case that not all 10 provinces are going to jump in together, even if the, the federal government puts a, a tempting offer on the table. And this was, of course, true when the Hospital Insurance and Diagnostic Services Act was passed in the 1950s and the Medical Care Act was passed in the 1960s. Some provinces took their time in developing an analogous program and therefore uh, availing themselves of the federal transfers to help with these programs. I think the key thing is to make sure we have uh, uh, enough of a federal contribution to the programs to make it in the interest of the provinces and also to make it so that some provinces with lower GDP per capita, uh, lower incomes per capita, actually have the opportunity to run a program that was as comprehensive as Pharmacare should be. If the offer is sufficiently tempting, it'll be difficult for some provinces to look at the, the systems they have now and suggest to their voting citizens that uh, they would prefer to stick with the status quo rather than a system that could potentially save them in any given province, uh, potentially billions of dollars. So how do you think our country should proceed? Well, on this, I think we need true federal leadership. And we make the case in, in this analysis piece in the CMAJ that having the federal government contribute the additional tax revenues that are needed for universal pharmacare uh, helps to make it possible for every jurisdiction to participate and also makes it uh, tempting for them to, to to go along with the country as a whole. Uh, therefore, we, we need a federal government that will put the interest of Canadian patients and households above the, the interests of the industries that are making money selling medicines in Canada at higher prices than in other countries. Um, and I think that that is uh, something that we need to move forward on. And I really think it's important for the federal government with this new advisory council on the implementation of pharmacare to take a very serious look at the scale of change that's required. I think what we need in Canada is to make a big leap and to implement somewhat dramatic reforms so that Canada has the institutional structures that are needed for us not just to implement a national pharmacare program, but to sustain a program against what are coming pressures of high cost uh, medicines on the market today. And uh, we want to have a system that is equitable, affordable, and evidence-based, not just for the year 2020, but for the year 2020 and 2030 and 2040, et cetera. Professor Wolfson, if you had Prime Minister Justin Trudeau sitting here with us, what would you say to him? Well, I'd say, Mr. Prime Minister, it's wonderful that your government looks serious about implementing a national uh, pharmacare program. Uh, but for it to be effective, uh, as Professor Morgan has just uh, been saying, please do not accept any half measures. It really has to cover a large majority of the drugs needed by Canadians. I'd say stay strong in negotiations with the provinces to ensure that it really is a national program. 
And uh, since I'm a bit of a data geek, a more nerdy point, make sure that you adequately fund the data, the research, and the analysis so that you're well-armed to drive a strong bargain on drug prices um, and uh, which drugs to fund uh, in the first place. For example, the kind of work that the Canadian Agency for Drugs Technology and Health uh, currently does. I would like to end by asking each of you in turn what you would want listeners, physicians, policymakers to take away from your analysis. Professor Morgan, let's begin with you. Thank you. And I think I would just begin with the point about uh, affordability. I, I really think it's important that people understand that this is not a question about whether Canada can afford a universal pharmacare program. There's no credible study and there's no comparable country that would indicate that universal public pharmacare would cost more than Canadians will otherwise be paying for prescription drugs. What is needed is a fairly dramatic shift in how we finance medicines so that we have better overall outcomes, but that will come at lower cost, and as we argue in this paper, uh, possibly with a fairer distribution of the financial burdens of the system. Professor Wolfson? I would echo Professor Morgan. The time for a national pharmacare program is now, and instead of fearing costs, I would encourage uh, Canadians to think about the net savings for Canada overall. Colleagues, thank you for doing this. Thank you. Thank you. I've been speaking with Steve Morgan, Professor of Health Policy in the School of Population and Public Health at the University of British Columbia, and Michael Wolfson, Adjunct Professor in the School of Epidemiology and Public Health at the University of Ottawa. To read the analysis article they co-authored, visit cmaj.ca. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe to CMAJ Podcasts on Apple Podcasts or your favorite app. While you're there, you can browse and listen to our many past episodes, and you can leave us a rating. I'm Dr. Ken Flagel, Senior Editor for CMAJ. Thank you for listening. <laughs>